Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charvak podcast. This is Kushal Mehra. So today's podcast is a way about a very specific case. So in uh, I'll give you guys a brief background. I think the year uh, a few years ago or 2 3 4 I'm not giving you the exact number because uh, when it was exactly filed I think it was in 2021 there was an alleged caste discrimination charge against the BAPS temple in the United States of America that had been alleged from one side and it uh, there is an ongoing investigation and recently during the ongoing investigation certain remarks you know uh, were submitted in 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 a court in india is from what i have understood and the 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 remark the 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 remarks were filed on july 13th in the rajasthan high court by some of the artisans and um, those artisans have stated in the letter submitted to the court and i'm reading a bit of it is pressurized to join as plaintiffs in a civil complaint in new jersey court so i just found out about this i thought this is a new development in the case so usually uh, i'm either talking to suhag from hf or i'm talking to nikunj from kona i was like what the hell i'll get both of them together in the same podcast and we'll talk about it together so uh, suhag and nikunj welcome Thanks Kushal. Thanks for having us. All right. So, uh maybe uh we can start like this. Uh Nikunj, you can explain the background of the case and Suhag then we can talk about the uh, talk about the court proceedings with you. So, Nikunj pehle, what is the case? I did not want to uh, give the details, uh, so I just paraphrased it. So, first explain the case and then yeah. we'll go to the proceedings bit with Suhag. Yeah, so in May of 2021, um, you know, most of us woke up to this, uh, you know, crazy sort of like allegations against the BAPS uh, temple. The for the folks who don't know BAPS, BAPS is the um, the one of the Swaminarayan sects within the within the Hindu tradition, uh, very famous for the large largest temples uh, that you may have seen across the world. So in the case of New Jersey, in May of 2021. um you know several federal agents i would say a couple of couple of hundred federal agents and their you know sort of like law enforcement let's say descended upon the temple in new jersey uh just barged in and started to search for uh you know basically take workers question them and uh, escorted some of these workers out of the temple compound uh started to go into various sacred sort of uh, facilities uh so there was a lot of things that went on on may in may of 2021 and that's when the new york times broke the the news that uh the bps temple organization has been accused of alleged caste discrimination for exploiting um the so-called dalit workers uh you know for a dollar 20 an hour uh, work they're working 87 hours a week uh so there are a whole bunch of different allegations uh labor law violations as but the big the big one as far as this whole thing is concerned is that the temple basically was um, you know caste discrimination essentially so that, from that point onwards you saw a whole barrage of media attacks slash uh, coverage uh you had your typical you know academics and sort of south asian scholars just raining down on this whole thing as if it was a fact versus fiction or even without even the the the, the all the details coming out uh it was just essentially like you know they were basically guilty until proven innocent in that sense So that's where this whole thing started and uh you know 2 years later pretty much in 2023 uh we recently saw what you just mentioned by certain workers uh from the Patargarai Sangh uh the Mazdoor Sangh etc 
writing a letter to um, submitting basically the, the the testimony in a press release form to the Rajasthan High Court, where they actually talk about that they were they were pressurized and coerced into this by advocate Swati Savant and some of the activists. So that's some pretty big, um, I would say, damaging information that just recently came out. And it's a sort of a breaking news, I would say, as far as the development is concerned, because a lot of things have been fairly silent in the case uh, for various reasons. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But that's, that's kind of the background, I would say, of where we stand today. Um, so we kind of talked about, we, we broke this also as part of the kind of, um, you know, very hot of the topic news uh, just a few weeks ago, I guess, on, on Twitter and some of the social media channels when we received the letter. Uh, so that's where we are. I'll stop here. Okay, Suhag, over to you. So, so, yeah. so, 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 what, what does it mean uh, in in terms of uh, um, uh, from a, a court proceedings perspective? Like, what what exactly is this in 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 terms of uh, the 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 lawsuit itself or the yeah or the case itself? So, um, I'll I'll just add a little bit more to what Nikunj said. Um, first, there's two parallel things happening here. You have the, the federal raid, which Nukunj um, referred to, that occurs. And so that's a that was for criminal investigation purposes, right? So you have not just caste discrimination, but uh, potentially human trafficking charges, uh, labor law charges, um, immigration fraud charges. So there's a number of things that um, the federal government um, was convinced they would find. We still don't know that they've found anything because two and a half years after this unprecedented raid of, you know, hundreds of federal agencies, that, you know, the federal government is known as kind of alphabet soup. They have a gazillion acronyms. And so probably every acronym was on the ground there um, at BAPS. So you have all of these people charging into the temple at the crack of dawn. Um, and so we, you know, all those resources, you taxpayer dollars, um, it seems to be a little bit of a nothing burger right now because they're two and a half years in. Um, you would imagine that a, at a raid of that size, that they had something, some smoking guns, that it was just a matter of finding, you know, the actual evidence to be able to connect the dots and run with it, especially because um, the New York Times story hit on the same day as the raid. So um, as far as I am concerned, if I have a case, I'm going to be sure that I have all my, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed if I'm going to get the media involved, even before there's any sort of charges. So that's the criminal piece of it. And then there's the civil case. Um, and so the civil case is where I think that um, the affidavit coming from India from the workers um, could have uh, an impact. We don't know just quite yet how those dots are going to get connected. But um, Swati Savant, you know, she filed a civil case against BAPS saying that she's representing these workers. Um, the New York Times and other stories stated that there were something like 200 workers um, that number kind of varies based on the, depending on the reportage. Um, we're, we're told that we're supposed to, that they were all uh, low cast. Um, how they know that, whether each one was interviewed, none of that is, is clear. Um, but we're supposed to just take that as true based on the reportage. Um, the case, the civil case has six named 
uh, plaintiffs. And, um, and then it says kind of an et al, which means that there might be others. Uh, but we know that the case has five to six um, named plaintiffs. Uh, the affidavit says that it's representing 12. So the math is, is a little bit wonky, um, even though I'm not the best at math. That's why I went to law school. But the fact is that you have five to six people named in a case and 12 workers saying we were coerced by this attorney. Um, and so what sort of impact that will have? I think that uh, either the, uh, the, the attorneys for BAPS will have to maybe do some homework to see, you know, what what this affidavit means, where it's coming from, et cetera, and submit it to the court. Uh, but right now, that case, even the civil case is on hold, pending charges from the federal government. Two and a half years in, there are no charges from the federal government. So, Nikunj, isn't this the normal scenario when the federal government is not even prepared to file charges? That means it's some sort of a nothing burger and they really don't have anything. I mean, I'm just assuming. Wouldn't that be the assumption? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're looking at, right? I mean, when you look at some of these high profile cases of like raids happening and things like that, they actually have a lot of evidence. Then they go in, right? This is kind of like they went in guns blazing, looking for something. And they're like, all of a sudden they're like, oh, where is it? Where is it? You know, that kind of a thing. So I think there's a an element of embarrassment, I think, in, on the federal government level, which we, which I feel it's going to come out uh, at some point because they went in all, like you said, uh, like Suhaji said, all the alphabet soups, you know, basically went in. Uh, the FBI and so on, you know, you can put all the names in there. Uh, they went in thinking there's going to be a lot of stuff because they were given a bag of crap, essentially, and, and said, here, this is what you're going to find. Uh, so for, this is a very good example. And, you know, we have seen this happening in the Cisco case and so many things. It's a very good example of people not understanding the dynamics, uh, the cultural dynamics, the issues related to caste, all of these things as far as our community is concerned, right? So when they're given a load of crap by someone uh, saying, hey, this is how it's going to be. I mean, if you look at the case, right, they, there's like, what's interesting is they actually just say, oh, these these workers are from the lowest, lowest caste of India, also known as Dalit. I mean, you know, when you get into the technicalities and semantics, there is no Dalit caste per se, right? So they actually that said of, that? They actually yeah, said that? Yeah, it's in the case. It's in the case. The same thing happened in the Cisco case. So, so we know someone, hint, someone, is feeding them this load of crap and they're taking this fully verbatim and going at it. I mean, the, the, the level of due diligence here is just, just appalling to me that somebody can actually do this, go in. And also, if you look at the history of the United States, just to kind of finish my thought on this, there haven't really been cases of this type of a magnitude where you're going into a sacred compound and just raiding it, uh, just going into quarters. You know, you're talking about like, you know, religious, like, uh, uh, spiritual leaders or spiritual, uh, I would say, you know, pundits, things like that, swamis uh, going into their, uh, they don't even entertain visitors or they don't even entertain the women. Like, you know, they, they obviously stay away from women. They have a, a very strict code of conduct. Uh, you have women FBI officers going in, interrogating them, putting a gun to their head, you know, things like that. This is like totally unbelievable. And uh, the amount of outrage is unfortunately lacking from in the community and that's just that was just very shocking to me i was personally pissed off i'm not i'm not even swaminarayan but i was personally pissed off at this thing said how dare they go into our sacred space any sacred space and blatant violation of our civil rights blatant violation of our religious rights and just completely inappropriate behavior but this is what we have here and uh 
there, no coverage. There hasn't been any coverage talking about this type of thing. All it has been is you know, the Daily Trentonian calling it the, the Temple of Doom, right? You have uh, Suraj Yengde calling, saying Hindu, you know, Hindu temples are monuments of slavery. You know, like you got that kind of stuff going on, but nobody talking about the violation, the blatant violations of the religious rights and the civil rights of Hindus. Wait, so Temple of Doom, wasn't that like a movie or something? Raider, yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom. I mean, it Temple of Doom is like the classic case of like Hindu phobia, right? You have this like yeah. high priest eating monkey brains and worshiping Kali. And I, I remember being, you know, just teased about it incessantly um, oh, yeah. when I was in grade school or middle school, when the movie came out, because it just, it took every worst stereotype that there is about India, about Hindu culture and everything, and just concentrated into a handful of scenes. But speaking about Temple of Doom and, and stereotypes, um, the problem with whether it's Cisco or whether it's BAPS is that when the government proceeds on the basis of inaccurate and false stereotypes about an entire ethnic minority. Um, and then it's bolstered by a media that already perpetuates those stereotypes. It becomes just a vicious cycle. And that's what you see with BAPS. Um, when you uh, read the coverage, of course, there was the Temple of Doom. Um, there was one in which it said that, oh, the workers were forced to eat lentils and potatoes. I'm thinking uh, that's kind of my weekly diet. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, and I think I'm pretty healthy. Uh, so Every Indian eats <laughs> aloo and dal. What the hell? This is, exactly. this is actually the media, uh, it, it media coverage. A nutritionally lacking diet or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, it's like most have, Gujaratis are having, that in that case, is nutritionally exactly. lacking diet. <laughs> exactly. So that was part of the news coverage. Um, you see echoes of that also in, in the complaint with Cisco. We don't know um, what any sort of governmental complaint would look like because it hasn't been filed yet. But even in, even in the civil case, you see kind of fundamental misunderstandings or, or intentional ignorance um, and malintent with regards to the law. The, the way that religious workers come to the United States is under an R1 visa program. And the R1 visa program is basically for religious vocations. This is not just something that the Hindu community uses. We, in fact, depend on it because all of our institutions for religious vocational training, whether it's pujaris, whether it's, uh, you know, people who become sannyasis or Shilpis, temple architects, and all of that sort of training occurs in India. And so we don't have those types of institutions in the United States. So we as a community depend on the R1 visa program. So do the Catholics. The Catholics apparently have a shortage of priests. And so they need priests coming from you know, African countries. They have coming from South American countries to, to kind of staff the variety of Catholic churches across the country. So the R1 visa is it runs a gamut. It can be a architectural, you know, uh, worker. It can also be a missionary. So, in terms of the types of pay requirements, um, it it's different from say a H one B worker visa or any other sort of worker visa. So, this idea that these workers came here 
and um, you know were underpaid. We don't know the facts of how much they were really paid or not. There are some requirements for certain workers, but the way that the the civil complaint is framed to me, I practiced immigration law for seven years before, or actually right about the time we started HAF twenty years ago, uh, but. That, that shows me that this person actually doesn't know how the R1 visa works. There's many uh, different vocations within the R1 visa where room and board and some stipend is adequate. So this idea that you know they were only paid a dollar or whatever, all that, those are facts that still remain to be seen. Um, you know, if the case ever goes public or the, the government ever files charges, or if the civil case proceeds that we'll find out really what were the terms uh, for these workers. But I also want to say one more thing about the workers. The, from what I understand, these are workers that had come numerous times to different temples. Now, if the conditions were really that bad, if BAPS was abusing them, why would they, why would this happen only in Robbinsville and not the other temples that they had come to? So they basically are coming back over and over again, anytime an opportunity comes to work for BAPS. So there's a number of things that I think once hopefully some of this stuff becomes a little bit more public that um, that that everyone will know, not just to, to Nikunja's point, you know, the community apathy that maybe people in the community will say, whoa, is this what happened? which temple could be next. We need to be worried about that. But also in terms of the media, we know that whether it's the Cisco case and the actual facts that are publicly available that go against the story that has predominantly been told, there's very little interest in even actually telling a truthful story. You know, I just want to add, uh, Nikunj, my two cents over here before I come to you. I think a lot of your problems are created by Indians in India. And I'll explain how. <laughs> I'll explain how. This whole vegetarian attack on Hindus for being vegetarian. Uh, you know, it's just a coincidence that we are talking on this day. It is the 26th of uh, July right now. And Sudha Murthy just made an innocuous statement. She just made an innocuous statement. I'm a vegetarian. I carry my food and utensils everywhere. This is so normal. Like my wife is a R.S. Samaji. R.S. Samaj rejects the notion of Jati Varna at its core. It, it rejects it. R.S. Samaj is one of the most successful reform movements of India when it comes to caste reforms or women's rights reforms. R.S. Samaj was at the forefront. The, everybody, irrespective of their caste, is uh, you know allowed in uh, R.S. Samaj or their yeah. Jati affiliation. Now, my wife, when we got married, she was very categorical in telling me, I will never touch chicken. My wife is not born in India. My wife is born and raised in Canada. She has no caste consciousness. To say this is Brahminism, could there be some elements of that? I'm never going to say it is zero. But I can point out members of the Scheduled Caste Scheduled Tribe community in India living, breathing communities in India since the Bhakti movement or before the Bhakti movement too, that are vegetarian by choice. So what have they imbibed is my question. That is point number one. This, this, because, you know, we can laugh at, and even I laugh at them saying, Are dal alu khata hai tu? how dare you? 
I mean, at the face of it, it's ridiculous. Now, I'm a non-vegetarian. My mother's a vegetarian. My wife's a vegetarian. My father, eh, he barely eats chicken. But I'm a non-vegetarian. But it's not an issue. In our house, chicken is usually not cooked. If cooked, the utensils are not different sometimes. They are different sometimes. And this is a very normal thing. But if you're a vegan in the West, brownie points <laughs> yeah and and so so i guess veganism is not white man brahminism but uh, vegetarianism is hindu man uh, brahminism and and all these shenanigans are basically theories that indian social scientists have come up with and they have and the folks over here have just kind of have do they have, like, this is where I disagree with Salvatore Babonis too. I, I admire what Salvatore has done. But Salvatore, so Salvatore made the statement that, well, Indian intellectuals are anti-India. What do you want the Americans to do? They just listen to what Indians say. Do Americans have no editorial control, whether it's the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, the Wall Street Journal, or any major uh, Vox.com or whatever portals they have? Nikunj, are Americans so stupid? Am I supposed to live with the assumption that Americans are dumbasses? No, I, I'm going to say this because Salvatore says that. So I consider it in, the, in two ways. One is... Um, uh, see, when it comes to understanding of India, right, or by extent Hinduism, so I'll just juxtapose the two together for this particular thing because of various uh, dynamics because that we don't matters. need to discuss right it, now. It does matter. Yeah. I, I am not denying the Indian uh, fault in no. it, but I'm just yeah, yeah. saying that Americans as if humko kya pata. Ah, so exactly. So now I'm going to give you two, two, dif two different aspects of this. First of all is, yes, there are a lot of ignorant people. So what they just want to hear is another brown person just telling them what it is. Okay. So they'll just gladly just listen to that. The second added, there's a sort of a, a anti-Hindu prejudice that also kind of uh, circulates in this. So what they want to do is they want to use a bunch of useful idiots uh, who would do their dirty job. So they want to show India slash Hinduism in a negative light. See, this is how dirty these people are. So at the end of the day, when a typical American can go to home to sleep, they're watching this like saying, hey, look out there. It's pretty bad. You know, I'm glad that I'm sitting over here. Look at that Indians. Look at those people. They're dirty. They're this going on, all this stuff. So they use these two ideas. So there's an inherent anti-Hindu prejudice in certain circles, whether you call it media or, you know, the popular, you know, popular nuance. Look at what's going on, the Oppenheimer, the controversy, as you may have already seen. And then you have these other set of people who don't know much, right? That's a majority of people who just don't know anything about Hinduism or India. I mean, if you look at the Pew surveys and stuff, right? Barely one in like four Americans even knows a Hindu. Forget about knowing about Hinduism or things like that. So from the beginning, from the when they are a kid, right, till they grow up, they learn about India and Hinduism like the Temple of Doom, like you, uh, that Suhagji was talking about. And by the way, I got bullied on that. You know, I've talked about this before in your, uh, on your show that I used to get, I used to be told by a girl in my homeroom every single day, do you eat monkey brains for breakfast? Every single day, okay? Every single day when I was in high school. Right. So my point is, this is the understanding of a lot of Americans when they come to see India through this lens. OK, now all of these uh, articles and stuff just kind of confirm that uh, that understanding or misunderstanding. So there are two aspects, like I said, just to kind of say anti-Hindu prejudice, which continues to be in certain circles. But a majority of people are just ignorant. They don't know much about Hinduism. They don't know much about India. So whatever they are fed, they're just going to take it. And that's the bigger concern 
that when you start to think about laws, when you start to think about government intervention, right? These people are actually impacting lives. It's not just some, you know, WhatsApp or Twitter or some social media chatter. It's really going and creating laws or using the full force of the government to go after a community just based on stereotypes that you have imbibed. But Nikunj, again, it comes down to that question. And I, Suhag, I also want you yeah. to address this. That does not take the responsibility away. Look, societies are, no, no. Uh, uh, societies are built by some people who inform the masses. Uh, like it or not, that's just how the cookie crumbles. So yeah. what what are the editors? So, see, is so, the editor yeah, just... of the New York Times a citizen of India? No. So what is the editor doing? That's what I'm saying. So yeah, just so just if you compare this to the coverage about sort of if you think about like Muslims uh, or the Middle East and things like that, there's a lot of no, nuance. No. Let's that's talk added about to that. France. Let's talk about yeah, France. France. There exactly. were riots in France. Look at the coverage in the New York Times, yeah. in the in the Washington Post, in the Wall Street Journal. Because there was there were two issues over here. One, they were their Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-American, larger Western brethren, France, because they were first world. Two, they were left wing. I, I am saying this as openly as possible. Macron. Now, it was if it was Marine Le Pen, it would have been a different story. They would have had to you know beat her a little bit because she's Marine Le Pen. Uh, not Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal would have been nice to Marine Le Pen. I just want to state that for the record. But Times is different. Yeah, no, I mean, New York Times will obviously be like, they, they were so nuanced in their coverage of France. Now, so what do we do in something like this, Suhag, where uh, editorializing matters and the editors are like, I don't know, this is like I send you an article and you don't editorialize it and you just cut, copy, paste and put it on the on your portal. Look, I don't, I don't think it's... Um, it Every single article, newspaper article from the New York Times, Washington Post, they are not, they're not publishing truth, facts, or understanding. They're publishing a particular ideology. And so to me, you know, you asked the question, um, are these problems coming from India? I would say 100%. 100% they're coming from India because you have a class of elites that are discontented with the direction that India is going in. And the direction that India is going in is what the people on the ground want India to be or the direction that they want the country to go in. So you have a class of people who have the privilege, the position and privilege of being able to shape the narrative about India. And it didn't matter what was happening on the ground. But now democracy is speaking very loud and clear. And, and you have a government that's responding to that. Um, whether you agree with every policy or not, whether it's the right way to solve a problem or not, that's not what we're talking about. But just this kind of meta idea that you have an elite that um, does not like what's happening and they always had access to the West. And this has been the result of years and years of investment by the West. When you look at all the fellows that are coming to places like Harvard through the Ford Foundation and all of this, you have uh, Western governments that have invested in the elite sectors in India, brought them over so that they get that kind of 
you know, the, the stamp of approval, the pedigree that's required uh, that, oh, I was a fellow at Harvard uh, or I was a fellow at Carnegie or whatever it might be. And then these people become the talking heads for a country, whether they're actually reflecting ground realities is not really a matter of concern. We know that that's not happening. If you want to learn, I, I actually said this yesterday because we uh, were having a conversation um, just with HAF staff, is that if you took the New York Times article about the raid and you held it in your hand, literally, and then walked into the compound of Robbinsville, you would not find a reflection of what was printed on the ground. You wouldn't find chained linked fences. You wouldn't find dilapidated housing conditions. You would not find big burly, you know, gun toting security officers. You would actually find like literally Indian uncles who have their tilakchanlo on and maybe have a flashlight who will say Jay Swaminarayan before they let you into the gate. And, and who have it. a very Gujarati English accent. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like that, that's what you, and, and you're talking to two Gujaratis, by the way. So watch yourself. Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> so uh, but what I'm saying is that there is there is if you want to find the truth or some con nuanced understanding of India or the Indian American community, don't go to The New York Times because you have these yeah. old Indian elites that espouse either far left or Marxist views of the world. And so they're going to sloppily try to find their oppressor and their oppressed Trust. and then cut and paste all the facts into a story or a plot that's already typeset. You have the big bad Hindus um, and specifically Savarna, Brahmins, whatever, find your punching bag of Hindus. And then you have the others and then you fit in anything, vegetarianism, um, you know, whatever it might be. And it just it just keeps becoming a vicious cycle. And then you have a mountain of citations that they have access to for circular citations. Um, so that's it is absolutely coming from India. But it is it is a feedback loop in the sense that the United States has invested in that. How do you get these elites? Why do these elites all have, you know, their stamp of approval from Oxford or or Harvard or wherever else? Those are programs that have been put in place. So there we yes. are. Yeah. This is where Raji Malhotra's book is very useful, yeah. right? Snakes in the Ganga, yeah. where he yeah. says, yes, um, the information is supplied by the native informant, but the funding is done by the, the colonizer. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it, it is the, the, the Harvards, the Stanfords, the Oxfords of the world that are funding all these people who make uh, all sorts of insane comments about India, which have no bearing. But again, I, I stick to this, Nikunj. It What bothers me in this entire discourse is the, the, the complete burden is shifted on the Indian information generator, but not on the editor who is sitting on the information. So I'll give you an example. So I wrote an article in print uh, during the second wave of COVID about the death numbers, right? Opposed the second wave, it's like this was after the Delta wave in India had done, and there was a lot of furore about the death number. So I, uh, I did not know. I was just going for research and trying to understand what is happening. So I used to consistently follow a few hospitals and crematoriums, and it's very important I narrate the story because you'll understand 
what an editor is supposed to do the editor of a print is not someone i may agree on many things ideologically with rama but she's a good editor yeah so the person i was working with i would send them my write up they would say back this up 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 and i would back these things up and if they were blatantly false i could not have been published in the print now there are some portals in india without taking names where i know for a fact that you don't have to do go through this process there is no editorializing now when i read an an anti hindu and i'm not saying anti india it's okay they can be anti india i could care less the biden administration or any other administration in the united states of america they need a they need india right now so it's not going to change anything from from an indian perspective but the if you are lying blatantly if you are so wrong then somewhere down the line i question the motive of the person the publishing house itself you have to question the motive the bapas case and i'm glad you know somewhere in the in our podcast suhag mentioned the cisco case because what happened in the cisco case was exactly same they made these insinuations about the person who was accused of caste discrimination and then later on we find out that person is as you know as uh, diversity equity inclusion uh, on on steroids and 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 if and it doesn't matter if they because it, it is this incessant political war where indians who hate indian intellectuals who hate the current indian dispensation and it's not going anywhere for before somebody thinks they it's going to change uh, get ready 2024 is coming more than likely the same government is coming to power as of my in my opinion and then you have an american enterprise that believes in in funding useful idiots i i, I don't know what to say it's it's part of the american foreign policy where the american state will be giving a grand reception to narendra modi because hey you know we are going to invest billions of dollars in india india is going to invest billions of dollars in america and we are going to create jobs for each other but what do we do about this because just like in cisco the entire case fell we don't know what's going to happen in the baps case but what, what do we do about this because what's happening to baps is a you know is is a a deep malaise inside the system itself no it is and remember like what i like to tell people is that um, you know if you kind of rewind back right to the days of the book mother india you know all of these different like sort of colonial or post colonial things that are going on so you know go back to 19th century 20th century right and look at the depiction of hindus right the, the atrocity literature as rajiv ji calls it also that was generated at that time right if, uh, it's not very different than what you what you see today on the ground except the methods have changed you know now you have like online you have some podcasts you have a lot of things going on but kind of the underlying atrocity literature about indians hindus being these oppressors you know um you know the dirty people don't know how to handle their toilets don't know how to handle this eating monkey brains you name it all kinds of stereotypes and tropes continue to be recycled then you know, of course the latest one that is con- that continues to you know hit us again and again is the whole idea of caste right but caste has been going on for a long time also remember the word juggernaut many people may not even know about this but the word juggernaut is actually uh, was coined from jagannath puri right where the i'm forgetting the guy's name but uh, but james buchanan i think his name is he basically said 
that you are, you know, he's witnessing this crazy, horrible people who are crushing the uh, like different types of Hindus are being crushed under this massive chariot and this juggernaut is moving through forward. So that, that entire idea of something holy and sacred was turned into like this monster, you know, and that's what you're seeing, like, you know, fast forward to whatever, 200 years later, and you're still seeing this, this impact. And that is now, of course, like you said, you know, funding the various snakes in the Ganga, as, as Rajiv Ji describes it in his book, uh, who, are, who are the elites who are being funded, who are being patronized in these, uh, you know, sort of Western institutions like Harvard, uh, you know, Georgetown, you pick different, different places. And then they kind of spit venom out again and again and again, and they get rewarded. So this is a citation, as Abhijit had mentioned on our, one of our programs, it's a citation loop. You know, you 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 cite me, you do this, you do that, etc., and then they, they just create an entire ecosystem, and we are kind of stuck right in the middle of that because they, the the attacks are directed against us, not just us as a Hindu community, but us as Hindu organizations. Because when Hindu organizations actually raise their their voices, they are called sanghis, they are called Brahminical, they are called right wing. Yeah, I mean Hindutva, you name it. The, the menu of slur. Oh, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. All of those, all of those, you know, and more. You know, so the menu of accusations and slurs that are targeting Hindu organizations is a huge. It's, it's really big. But when you compare that to other organizations or other communities, you can start to see some parallels. But it's very different. You know, there's a lot of nuance. You know, people are given given the platform to talk about what their concerns are. But when it comes to Hindus. We are first guilty and then to be proven innocent. Just because I have a last name, Trivedi, all of a sudden, me, my grandfather, my, my father, my grandfather, and generations of people are just essentially born and raised as caste supremacists, essentially, right? And then my daughter, uh, who has not, you know, born and raised in the US, is also apparently a caste supremacist just because she has a last name and, and because our diets are vegetarian. But if I was white, uh, I would be saying, I would be like this hip and cool person who is now eco-friendly, sustainable, so on and so forth. But because I'm a Hindu, I'm a caste supremacist just because of my dietary habits, my last names. So all of this kind of narrative is being spun in an entire ecosystem that is being funded by various forces. Um, and that's the effects of that we're seeing today. So Suhag, I, I have a question. Can I just add you. on? To, yeah, if sure. I can just add on and then I'll answer yeah. your question. But uh, honestly, I feel that we are... And this is something that someone, um, our communications director has been saying more and more, is that we're in a post-truth era, meaning that truth doesn't really matter as no. much anymore. And that's a broader issue. Um, I think that you, to, to Nikunj's point, there are other communities who feel that their stories aren't being told. They might have a little bit more context or nuance. You know, so we're part of that broader problem. Uh, but it's compounded by almost 250 years of colonial narratives about us. So even digging through all of that, you know, while everyone else might be, you know, kind of at the tip of the iceberg, we're even further down trying to dig ourselves out in terms of trying to get our stories told. You mentioned Cisco and, and the editorial responsibility. Um, and, and I think that we could tie this to, the federal government in the way that they have, you know, come down on on BAPS, and two and a half years later, we still don't see any uh, charges. Uh, the civil case, the New York Times coverage of it, or even Cisco. Um, when you have this much energy invested into a particular story, 
and you put so many resources behind it, I think it makes it that much more difficult to step back and admit that you've been wrong. So the Cisco case is a good example. I did a deep dive into all of the public filings. I created a flow chart that would literally walk reporters through. Here's what happened this day. Here's the filing where we learned that, oh, Sundar Iyer was actually classmates with John Doe. Uh, here's where we learned that John Doe got a several million dollar starting package. So John Doe self-identified Dalit as a millionaire. Oh, here's where we find out that the position that he's claiming that he was denied, he never applied for, or that the position was actually held by someone else who identified as a Dalit, right? All of these facts you can find um, in the court proceedings. If you are curious and enjoy going down rabbit holes, you can even go to other sources to find other pieces of information to connect the dots to what was publicly available. I made the link to this flow chart publicly available. We shared it with every reporter that reached out to us about the Cisco case because we filed um, a case against the state in the way in which they've uh, kind of violated our First Amendment rights. Um, so we were in touch with a lot of reporters who were interested in the story, what they weren't interested in. And I would see, you know, when you put out a Google form, you can see little animals, which means that, you know, there's people in your document, not a single story other than the one that I wrote for print. And I would agree with you that Rama is a really tough editor. Um, no one told the story. All of these reporters are actually covering the Cisco case, but refused or, you know, played dumb when it came to, well, here facts that the state has ignored. Here are facts that are publicly available that have been submitted to the court under oath. Why are you not covering the story? So there have been, I would say, at least five or six reporters that I've seen on Twitter where they will admit that their role is not so much about telling a story, but pro promoting an idea, which is actually activism. That's not being a journalist. That's being an activist. And I think we're just seeing far too much of that, which is what puts us in that post-truth era. No, yeah. so my question was, where does BAPS go from here from a legal perspective? Now, the the case keeps going on and, and you have this constant sword hanging over you. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I, the, the irony is that I am a disbeliever. None of you are actual from the Sampradaya of BAPS. But at the end of the day, it is not uh, about... Uh, a sampraday. It is about the entire modus operandi, right? So, so as far as this case is concerned, now what are going to be the next steps, then, Suhag? It, it's hard to know. Um, you know, I first the federal government until the federal government takes some sort of move forward or says, "Hey, I mean, there's going to be a statute of limitations." That's for sure. I think it's five years um, that you know once the raid occurs, that some sort of you can't just have a, a yeah. sword or a noose dangling over your head for you know decades on end. That's not the way the system works. So I believe there's probably a five-year uh, statute of limitations. So we're at what about two and a half years? Two years, yeah. Two years. So so that's still that's still a ways to go. Um, so they're probably you know complying with whatever inquiries that the federal government is making, whether it's Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the U.S. Uh, Commission on Immigration Services. So you know that is up to BAPS until. 
there are some sort of charges. I don't know where the civil case is going to go because I believe it's on hold until something, you know, unravels uh, one way or the other on the criminal charges. My fear is that given all the resources that the government put in, you know, into this unprecedented raid, the swagger and confidence with which it did it, because it clearly coordinated with the New York Times or the activists, you know, I think there's probably a triangular coordination there with the uh, lawyer, with the reporter, as well as as the federal government. Um, Are they going to try to make something stick? Is it going to be like throwing pasta at a wall to see like which thing sticks? Is it going to be human trafficking or some of the really serious charges? I hope not. I don't think it will be. It'll be something, though, because after you've invested this much time, what is that? You know, you're you're trying to save your nose. Right. Like so, you know, will something happen? Who knows? But those are kind of maybe the potential motivations um, the government will have to to save face. Uh, But as far as that affidavit, uh, I would encourage reporters in India, since these workers are in India, find out the story. Let's hear from them. You know, with it's, it's, it's one, it's 12 workers who said we were coerced. There's a story to be told there. So if there are any remaining investigative journalists out there, I would encourage that talk to the lawyer, see what's going on. And, um, you know, maybe some of those workers are still here too in the United States, find them what's really going on. I think there's there's an interesting story that needs to be uncovered. And at least the affidavit, in my view, is absolutely helpful um, to uh, for BAPS. Uh, and, you know, they have claimed no wrongdoing and um, the affidavit supports that. Uh, so time will tell. So, but uh, Nikunj, the BAPS still has to come out now. One of my problems with BAPS has been their communication. I don't know what, how, or how they communicate sometimes. And look, the charges are serious. Uh, the caste discrimination is one thing. I think even there is a labor uh, dispute, right? Violation, there, yeah. Labor mm-hmm. violation. Now, now, uh, is there any communication from the BAPS that I have? missed out where they have given an explanation like what has been the explanation from the BAPS side yeah so I mean I, I obviously I don't want to comment on their behalf but I would say that they are being very cautious um, because you know they look they they have um, even and I'll, I'll go back to the Akshardham temple attack um, several years ago right what uh, instead of coming out strong and you know sort of issuing ma- massive statements you know they they sort of played in the background they played you know, they, they did not respond as strongly as somebody may say, hey, you know, your temple was attacked. Why didn't you respond? Right. That has been their history, um, both in the Delhi slash even in Gujarat, there was an attack. So that's been kind of how they have been operating. I've just from a historical perspective, that doesn't mean they'll operate the same way as far as this this lawsuit is concerned. So they're being very cautious. That's just the way they the, from a you know organizational approach that I have seen over the years that they don't really comment too much in public as to what's going on, but, you know, let the truth come out. Uh, I'm sure they're working in the background. They have lawyers obviously working on the case. Uh, so they'll probably make comments when they're ready to make comments as far as like the, the you know, the case is concerned, a new development in the case. But, uh, you know, so I'll be, uh, obviously I can't comment on that, but that's been what my observation has been historically speaking. Uh, even when temples were attacked, 
you know, with terrorists coming in, they did not, you know, have such a strong response. Instead, they, you know, they kind of took a much more um, sort of like, I would say, calmer response, uh, if at all, per se. So, yeah. And, and just to address the bit about Suhag, what you said, right? In India, it's not an issue. Because BAPS is just another sect in India. They don't they don't feel threatened in India. They are very secure in India. They are very safe in India. They are free to practice their religious norms in India. And it's not like I agree with everything BAPS says or, or, or believes in at a spiritual or as a social level. I don't actually. But what what is being done over here now, the, these charges are serious. Now, either they prove the charges and then I will be the first person on my podcast going hammer and tongs after the BAPS day in and day out. Or if things like this come out where we hear news of the workers being coerced to say these things just so that um, the activists who who want to attack uh, Hindus in, in the United States of America... Uh, you know, they want to use this as a cudgel to beat them. Now, these are seriously disturbing things, Suhag. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so the natural question should be, how should the community in North America respond to this? We have to just be vigilant. Um, we have to wake up and recognize that there are serious challenges to our community. Um, and unfortunately, it's coming from the inside. Uh, but if you have a infection, um, you have to either you can deal with the infection or it's not an either or it's a it's a and you deal with the infection but you also strengthen yourself and and i think that we need to do more of that um you know doing being more aware of our rights uh being more aware of not just what's happening to the community but digging a little bit deeper we're no longer in an age where you can read one article and think you have an understanding of what has happened. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people who just, whether it's Cisco or whether it's BAPS, like, oh yeah, you know, caste discrimination happened there. I'm like, oh really? Where's the court case? Where are the finding of facts? Like, so we have to be a lot more diligent on how we get our information. Talk to your friends on the ground, go visit, um, read multiple news sources, right? Um, support organizations that are doing the kind of work um, to educate our community about it. So we have to definitely um, kind of shake off the apathy that I think is um, kind of inbuilt to our community. As far as BAPS though, look, if this was going to happen, and you know, I might get criticized for this, but if this was gonna happen to any organization, um, I'm relieved that it was BAPS because BAPS has the, the, the strength financially, socially, in every which way to adequately fight this sort of thing. Had it been some small temple, um, you know, you're ta- I can only imagine what the legal bills are right now. Any other, any other temple had it been attacked in this way um, or, you know, charged in the way that that BAPS was, it would have folded. So in that sense, I hope that they continue to fight very vehemently against false charges, because this is going to become the model for every other Hindu institution, whether it's a temple, whether it's an organization, um, whatever. But the community just needs to wake up and recognize that 
these are things are also related. Why is it that um, you have kind of the same so-called reports or surveys um, from organizations like Equality Labs popping up in news stories where that's cited, popping up as submitted evidence in the Cisco case, popping up as evidence submitted to the, you know, over dozen of college campuses that have now passed CAST policies. And this idea that, well, it doesn't matter if I'm not discriminating is, is just baloney. Um, it doesn't matter because you're stigmatized and you may be susceptible to false accusations um, or even if you, you don't get to that far step, certainly you're going to be stigmatized, um, where if a company or a college or anything has a choice between picking between someone who's of Indian origin and someone else, all of a sudden the Indian origin people have been painted story after story after story of either being inherently bigoted or oppressive, either not being law abiding or whatever it might be, it's not going to be a cultural fit. And so for that reason, we need to really be um, vigilant um, about the stories that are being told about us. I'll just add one more thing that, you know, we we as a community and a lot of our community elders always talk about, oh, we're a successful community. How do you measure success? Fine. If it's just economic and educational, woohoo. But if we're talking about political or in terms of our imprint on the the narratives and the policies that are being made that impact us, I would say we're pretty close to zero. So we can't just look myopically on how we measure success. We need to encourage our next generation to go into the media, to go into academia, to go into policy so that we are investing. Well, we and we have to invest in also educating them about who we are as a people, what challenges we face as a community, and to make them strong so that they will not capitulate to the broader pressures that have already infiltrated some of these spaces and then become champions for our community from, from the side that's actually shaping those narratives and policies. Uh, I don't know. I maybe Nikunj can share his views too on this, but I. I, my biggest grouse with the Hindu community is that the Hindu community has no nuisance value. Listen, uh, l- looks like, uh, l- let's take the Cisco cast case, right? It fell. Nobody can accuse me of being, I, I want the annihilation of Jati Varna. I, have, I say it again and again and again on my podcast without flinching an eyelid. But if a person was falsely accused of being a casteist, the only way they can deal with this problem is uh, you have to sue the pants of people who maligned you. Mm-hmm. And until and unless you don't have a nuisance value as an individual or as a community, I am sorry to say this has been my biggest grouse with the Hindu community. In India, lawsuits take forever. In America and Canada and United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, lawsuits come to a conclusion. Um, uh, what do you think? Uh, I, I can't take the name of the person, but the Muslim community in England, they say they are they are lawyered up to the hilt. I I say I'm saying this from white people telling me, not Indian Hindus. White people have told me off the record that if we say a word, these folks are lawyered up to the hilt. They will take us to court, and the cost of fighting the lawsuit is way more. So we just don't say anything. The same thing happened. I don't know how many people have followed the case of Kim Bolin and the Vancouver Sun. 
this is in Canada, where one teeny little mistake was made by Kim Bolin in the reportage. And uh, the lawsuit was filed by the Khalistanis. And look at the results after that in the Vancouver Sun. Barely any reportage happens, and these things matter. So, so Nikunj, what, what, what? Why would anybody take the Hindu seriously? The Hindu doesn't do that. No, I fully agree. I mean, we have very little nuisance value because we need to. We uh, we are like you know, first of all immigrants, like you know that. Oh, you know, just keep your head down, do what you need to do. But I think we need to get out of that, and that's something that we have been. You know, talking to a lot of our community members on saying, look, you need, we, if you want to create, there's got to be deterrence, right? As you mentioned, see, that if there is no deterrence, people are going to keep attacking you again and again and again. But you got to go after at least one of them and sue the pants out of them, take, drag them through as many administrative, legal, whatever burden, make their life political hell, whatever dif different things that we want to do. Make an example out of one or two different types of institutions, individuals, whatever it is that have dared to go and have these false charges and make life hell for the Hindu community. I mean, think about it. If you think about the time that I spend, the time that Suhaji spends, the time that all different Hindu organizations time spent on fighting and, and uh, on these just this caste issue, for example, since 2020, you know, it's been incredible amount of frustration, incredible amount of like sleepless nights, incredible amount of convincing that needs to be done to our own people first before we have to even convince outsiders. So we lack that nuisance value. We lack that grit that you need to go after this. Because when you say Satya Mev Jayate, you're talking about Bhagavad Gita, all these grand things, but you're never going after the people who have come after you in an adharmic, unethical way to take essentially you out as a community. And if we don't do that, until we do that, we're not going to be successful. It comes to political power. It comes to legal challenges. It comes to grassroots activism. So many different things that need to be. And you need to start making examples. Let's start in California. You know, that's where the issue is hot right now. Let's go after Seattle. Nothing is stopping us from doing that. Why aren't we doing that? As, it, as, as a community, not just as individuals who are doing their own little bit. I'm talking about some serious power. And as you mentioned, you got to lawyer up. You got to have that legal battle ready to go. You got to have the political will. All those things are needed. Until then, we're just going to be you know, getting tired and, and getting frustrated again and again and again, because this is going to keep happening. I'll, I'll just say on the lawyering up as a lawyer, um, I agree. Uh, and you know, we we do have at least I think the community, I take a little bit more of a look, not everyone can be a fighter, but you can support fighters. Yeah, and so that's what we need to do. We already have what three pending cases related to cast in California. We have the one um, where the two faculty members have sued the Cal State University system for having added cast um, to their non-discrimination policies. We have a Section 1983, which is a civil rights claim against the California Civil Rights Department, very ironically named, in my view, uh, for an institution or an entity yeah. that's supposed to uphold civil rights, um, but is trampling on the civil rights of Hindu Americans and Indian Americans and the way that it just perpetuated so many racist um, stereotypes about Hindus and Indians in its Cisco filing and also 
tried to define Hinduism as having inherent to it a religious and social hierarchy in which untouchability and oppression are required through social custom and legal mandate. The, the, the U.S. Constitution tells us that a state power or state entity cannot define religion. It cannot treat one religion differently than others. And that's exactly what the Civil Rights Department has done. So there are at least, and then we also have a motion to intervene in the state case, in the state court case of Cisco. So I think legal action is occurring. These issues are at least specifically on caste. Now there's, it's another point altogether on defamation. We filed it, unfortunately, standing was not there for us, but I would encourage other groups. If people are saying inaccurate things about your organization, file suit. Just know that it's going to cost a lot of money. And that's where the community, where if they don't have the stomach for, you know, getting onto the battlefield, at least support it. And yeah. so if you've been defamed as an organization, file suit, um, you know, and at some point it's going to stick because a lot of the lawsuits that we know are filed in terms of a nuisance value, they may not necessarily go somewhere. I'm not encouraging frivolous, frivolous lawsuits, but, um, with with cast specifically though um these are questions of first impression they are complicated and we have to also be cognizant of the fact that very often the judge or the the lawyers that we're trying to hire are also steeped into some of these stereotypes of indian society being a pyramid with four classes and you have the horrible, evil, wily priests at the top, lording over the rest of society. Like those are the types of stereotypes that we're also dealing with. And so I, it's important that we file those suits, but I think that we have to see how one or two maybe go before we unleash, I think, the power of the law against these issues. All right. And now I'm going to take questions from the viewers. Very good question. As a community, and both of you should answer this. So Nikunj, as a community, and then Suhag. What kind of consequences are we going to ensure for the people who have degraded the view of use in the public sphere? We just, uh, I, like, uh, I don't know just about the consequences about, yeah. for the people, but what kind of consequences are we looking at for the community? We should You're discuss talking about that. The, the consequences for our community, what are the consequences? Yes. I mean, there are some, yeah, there's some major consequences. Look, we're going to be canceled across the board. I mean, we're seeing this on college campuses, you know, when, uh, UC Davis, for example, there's a group in UC Davis that basically openly called out saying on in November, you should never you should not celebrate Diwali because celebrating Diwali is akin to worshiping caste gods and goddesses, which are which are naturally violent to Muslims, Dalits, Bahujans, Sikhs, Adivasis, etc. Like this is the type of stuff that you're going to be seeing on college campus. It's already happening in workplace. You know, I know people who have basically been called out and say, oh, yeah, you Indians, you know, you people are always like, a, you know, trying to, you know, oppress like all these uh, you know, lower caste people and things like that. It might sound very benign, but this can actually, you know, be a part of your employment promotions and stuff like that. Like, do I want to deal with this caste nonsense? I've been forced to take this training. Now, all of a sudden, I got an Indian guy and, you know, I'm dealing with this, you know, some white guys talking about some Indian guy who's being, you know, not very, uh, you know, is discriminating against another Indian guy based on the stereotypes you know so there's this idea of cancel culture even in your workplace and then we talked about some of these small you know businesses and temples if you are accused right what ends up happening is if you don't even have to go to court nothing will happen 
negative publicity will start taking out your business and uh, 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 reputational damage to your temple in the community that you are part of. So all of a sudden, there's a uh, you know a daily uh, like a headline and a state newspaper. Forget about New York Times. A state newspaper that X Y Z temple is accused of deploying slavery. You know, just say it, right? And they will say slavery equals caste discrimination. So now all of a sudden, you have an entire community around you saying, "Hey, you guys are a bunch of you know uh, people who who have uh, who condone slavery and things like that." So there's an entire you know sort of things at risk. Your financial resources are at risk. Your reputation is at risk. And your future generation is at risk because why would somebody want to be a Hindu with a certain last name or a certain type of habit if you're going to be continuously accused of it? And I know kids who have been bullied on Instagram just for what their last name is based on the Cisco case, based on the Khalistan issue in Canada, so many different things that go on. So this is the, 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 these are the consequences. I can go on and on, but these are the consequences that we are going to be getting. And we're already seeing some of that. Uh, play out in today, actually. So, uh, yeah, um, I mean, I agree with with everything that Nguyen just mentioned. I'd also say that there's a consequence just at the family level. Um, you know, these types of issues for especially with young people, the influences on college campuses towards social justice in which um, in in that kind of framework of social justice of needing to have an oppressor and an oppressed, you have um, Hindu students who are susceptible to internalizing an idea that they are perpetually historically oppressors. Um, they come home, they're turning, you know, it's it's natural to rebel against your parents. Do we what, have an oppressor hat? Uh, we should maybe, I suppose. <laughs> I <laughs> <am> oppressor. <laughs> but it, it's definitely having an impact. I don't know how many parents that have reached out. And I know, Nikunj, you guys have as well. Parents who are saying, my child has come home and he's you using all this language um, yeah. that I don't know how to deal with. And they're saying everything that we do, everything we've stood for, everything that we have sacrificed so much to hold on to, whether it's reading the Gita as a family, being vegetarian, if they are, all of those things, they're now questioning. Um, you know, I think I saw a post about Bharat Natyam being some sort of Brahminical patriarchal something or other, Yoga. right? Like, so um, all of these types of things are having a real impact just at the family level, which then feeds into, are we going to have a next generation of Hindus? If people want to ask, why is that important? I think it's important because I think Hindu Dharma is a force for good. We have so much in our tradition and in our philosophy that can, you know, really help solve some of the major issues that we face as humanity, whether it's living in consonance with the earth, being a little bit lighter in our use of, you know, material stuff. All of these things are valuable. We can't even offer the best of us because we're just too busy fighting against, you know, these false stereotypes about us. Um, employment. We, on a weekly basis, are hearing from especially workers in tech. Someone asked me uh, what caste I was. I don't know how to answer that question because it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're if you're a second generation, third generation, even, even folks in India growing up in urban areas, they may not know. Why should that question even be asked? Imagine if that question was asked to any other ethnicity. Oh, like, oh, you're a little tan. Do you have African-American blood? Like that sort of question, because you know what it's going towards, would be absolutely unacceptable in the workplace. But now it's like, 
lunch talk, like, you know, water cooler chat. So those types of things we're seeing. There were even some Fortune 500 companies where employees came to us saying they started an entire Slack channel that's just called CAST. And yeah. people, they're activist types there, um, Ambedkarites or, or, you know, Dalit activists that would be on the side of supporting a, a bill like SB 403. And not all Dalits and Bojans support SB 403, but those who support it who are then posting all sorts of just horrible stereotypes about Hindus, talking about how Hindu is like the Hinduism is the equivalent of slavery and blah, blah, blah. And you have now non-Asian white HR administrators who are completely ill-equipped to deal with this. They unleash something thinking that they're being so politically correct to like help have people have conversations about this. No, you're not having conversations. You're unleashing divisiveness and hate in your corporation and affecting the ability for your workers to do what they're hired to do, which is to make a good product or whatever it might be. So there's definite consequences um, to all of this, regardless of whether SB 403 becomes a law, regardless of what happens with BAPS, the media coverage in and of itself has done so much damage. You know, uh, I think the Hindu community is too defensive. Like if somebody came up to me and asked me my caste, nine out of 99% probability, it's a white person, white, ultra progressive. Uh, probabilities of that person being a woman are even higher. I'm sorry. I am stating the most obvious reality. And if people don't like it, well, too bad. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be a white woman, most likely. Well, I think I would ask her, so so which slaves did you own? Well, I, I would ask that question. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I know the white person will be like, wait, I don't know, no slaves. Then why the hell am I supposed to know my caste? If yeah. you don't know if you own slaves or not. See, the problem with the Indian community or the Hindu community is they are too apologetic. They are too defensive. Um, I'm not. If somebody asked me this question, this would be my answer. I would go on the offense. And, and next time I will tell them that, and then I'll use their words that you're triggering me, you're othering me. This is a microaggression against me. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Whatever language these people use, uh, the weirdos of this world. And then I would eventually, if nothing works, I would be like, I'm going to my HR department mm -hmm. and yeah. accusing you of bullying me. The problem is, it all boils down, Nikunj, as I said, there is no nuisance value. Are salo fattu logo. Tum nuisance value create karo. And, and believe me, violence is not needed. Mm -hmm. Bill Maher and his joke was right. Civilized people sue each other. They don't beat each other up. Just Even the threat of a lawsuit is enough. Now, the next question was... Uh, I, I think I should answer this. Is the Indian government taking cognition of these people who are masqueraded as intellectuals for saying outright lies? Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, and I will not say how I know this or why I know this and to what extent I know this because some things are not supposed to be said. But I can tell you the Indian government is very much uh, aware of what's happening. The Indian government is also concerned about the diaspora. I am assuring you they are. Uh, maybe the method of solving the problem for the Indian government may not be something that is quote-unquote ideal. Uh, 
according to many people but i can assure everyone the indian government is very much aware of what's happening the attacks that are happening but the next question is very important and i saw a very interesting video of a maga pastor calling vivek ramaswamy the the devil worshipper oh so and by the way i did not find it cringe i was just laughing i was laughing at the stupidity of that person i know what what else am i supposed to do i mean my brain i was like what a moron but so <laughs> this question is good with upcoming and i want both of you again to answer this so nikunj first to you with upcoming elections in in the united states of america is there a tracker on which representative senators have been supportive or antagonistic to the american uh, indian community or hindu community i'll narrow it down even more hindu community uh is there a tracker uh who is keeping the tracker <laughs> i will just say that you know there's no tracker per se uh, official tracker out there but i know uh various groups are keeping a tab on which um representatives and which people are not so you know i've been anti hindu uh you know whether it's like openly or covertly etc uh supporting various um you know whether it's SB 403 type of policies in in California or not uh and the community is taking note right i mean it's still got a long way to go but i know for a fact um i get emails and calls from different people saying hey this person has been like this you know can we go and how can we like defeat them in the next election you know like how what can we do from a political perspective and i say look obviously as kona Uh, as a 5163 organization we cannot endorse candidates or or you know not you know not support them etc that kind of a political um you know sort of stances but if you feel strongly go at it right the power is yours you got to make sure that you go and create that uh, awareness about this particular representative or particular state senator or or assembly member whoever it is and get active right there are ways to, and we can help you from an education perspective we can provide you some resources as far as education is concerned uh and we do call out on on twitter and many places we call out uh representatives or lawmakers who are openly anti-hindu or who are supporting anti-hindu policies so all it takes is for people to go and read up on that so uh in a, in a, in a, so like a, in a long way to say there is no tracker per se but we are keeping tabs on different types of uh, elected officials or state representatives or whoever else who are anti-hindu and who on and to remind our community that these are the folks that are unfortunately against our community to so, uh, yeah um same i mean we you know we know that there are um congressmen at the federal level and at the state level that have been tremendously helpful to our community and um look the system here works because you have to grease the wheels and i think that while many people in our community have been greasing the wheels they've been doing it just for a photo op um i think there's a growing uh, awareness and we're also a 501c3 so not in the uh position legally to be able to endorse candidates or to um give donations and that sort of thing. So for all those people on Twitter who always say AGF supports so and so, um you're off because we can't. Um but for those organizations that can, those are political action committees or even individuals who are getting more organized, um they are now making demands because that's the way the system works. You know, I think to to the broader point about, you know, Hindus we tend to be kind of uh passive or we don't want to ask i mean in some sense it's it's cultural because our tradition tells us to do things without expectation but when you live in a system that requires that 
you have to play the game. And so, um, you know, like I said, there are people who are now donating to those candidates that have been friendly. They are also donating to the opposition of those who are running against those who have not been friendly. So I'm sure we'll be seeing some sort of action in California against someone like Senator Wahab, um, where the community, uh, there's there's definitely been, in some sense, that's the silver lining with SB 403, is that it has woken up the community in a way um, that nothing else has to date. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see some folks that are choosing to run. Now, you don't have to run immediately for state assembly or state Senate. You can start small, start at the city council, school board. Um, You know, even libraries have boards of trustees where you can run for election or get involved. So there's many different ways in which we as a community can begin building our kind of political footprint because the, the place that we are ahead of the game is that financially we have the grease. We just haven't, you know, we just haven't used it the way it needs to be used. So I see this all as as an opportunity. But one thing I will say is that, um, you know, when you look at the Equality Act and things like that happened in the UK, there was a concerted effort for the entire community kind of to move from labor to the conservative party. I don't know that that's really um, feasible here in the United States. We represent 1.5% or less than 1.5% of the entire U.S. population in a much bigger country. And politics are very different locally. So if you make that concerted effort to say, okay, well, this party's not friendly to us and this one is, well, guess what? That MAGA bag of pastor represents the far right wing. So, you know, we have to be also smart about where we where we uh, put our support and what party we align ourselves with in order to actually win elections. If you're going to be a Republican in a historically blue district, you might as well not, you know, just throw your money in the toilet. That's what you're essentially doing. So we have to also be discerning um, in knowing what our local history, political history is to then really kind of have an impact. Yeah, I, and, I always, and I would just add one more thing. Yeah, go ahead, uh, go ahead, allyship go ahead. is yeah, allyship is very important. Mm-hmm. See, what ends up happening is that we collectively, as Suhag, you said, we're a very small portion of the American population in general, right? But where we can be powerful is having allyships with communities who face similar issues, who may have different issues, but are also concerned about what we are facing, right? So creating that bridge and expanding your circle of influence is also very important. And our community historically has not been very good at it. We've been very inward looking. You know, it's all Indian, all Hindu all the time. And we're not looking outward saying, hey, you know what? Who else has this issue? Like, I'll give you an example. You know, you could have like, it doesn't have to be a Hindu issue. It could be, I don't know, women's rights, you know, like something else. So if you can find a women's rights group, let's say, for example, and you can say, okay, I resonate with them. I'm going to go and support that women's rights group for what they're fighting for, Right. Now you're building that allyship so that next time when you have an issue, you can lean on them and say, hey, you know, we work with you on this and we need your support on this. And that allyship is how other organizations and other groups win against us. If you look at Equality Labs and if you look at some of these Ambedkarite groups, they have allyships with all these like random groups out there, which or at least they seem random to us. But they've been working on this for decades, essentially. And now the support is so strong all they have to do is just send one email or one phone call and boom comes like 
an entire letter of endorsement from all these different labor groups and you know black groups and civil rights groups and this group and that group, et cetera, because they have created an entire narrative and worked on that allyship. So the only solution to that is suing the pants out of these people who falsely accuse the Hindu community and the Indian community. That's it. It, it, it all comes down to that eventually. So I'll give you a nice example. In the United Kingdom, gender surgeries were allowed under the National Health Program, NHS, all as the British like to call it, and HS. So when a bunch of kids who were do, allowed to do those surgeries or encouraged by their doctors to do those surgeries found out, boy, I did not like that. They sued the pants out of the healthcare system. And guess what the healthcare system did? You have to be 18 now. You cannot do it before that. So it's just that in the case of the Hindu community, they just need to find the right case. And I think Cisco was the best case if, because it went into the favor of the person who was accused. That person now should not sue the, the, the John Doe. That person should sue Equality Labs. That person should sue every other organization that was... Times that person should sue Washington Post, and and the Indian community should do a gawker. What the Indian community should do, and I I'm not personally happy about uh, what Peter Thiel did to gawker, but Peter Thiel showed the way. All he did was he told Hulk Hogan, "Here, Hulkamania, take money, sue the pants out of gawker." Gawker ran out of business. The Indian community has the financial wherewithal to do it. And why am I saying, you know, somebody might say, Kushal, you have given the strategy out. No, no. I am stating this on the record. If you lie about the community, you deserve to be sued. If you are maligning a community where children are going to suffer and the lives of children being born and raised in the United States of America is, uh, is going to be affected, you need to be sued, my friend. And this is coming from a person who hates Jati Varna. I hate it. But I still believe that Indian kids born and raised over here have nothing to do with it. They, they don't owe anybody in India the answer for anything. But at the same time, you know, I'll repeat this again. Look, you know, there is a global Islamic uh, thing where, you know, everybody kinds of pulls their resources and bullies. India, unfortunately, was not economically powerful. It's very interesting. I saw a video recently. I think it was today or day before yesterday or something or yesterday uh, where the prime minister said, uh, the, we have to appreciate the confidence of the prime minister. He said, in my third term, as if, you know, he's like, in his mind, there is a third term. So, so Modi's like, eh, what are you guys talking about? So he's like, in my third term, I will make sure we are one of the top three economies in the world. He did not say number three. He said we could be number two, too. So, I mean, uh, props to the... Um, uh, you know, the the prime minister's confidence. But the point is, I think the in, as far as India and the Indian government is concerned, a lot of these things come with financial might. So uh, at times, I think Indian, Indian citizens living in uh, Indian origin people living in the United States or in the Western world in general, they feel angry, rightfully so, with the Indian government because they, they look at and they see, why aren't you responding? Look, a lot of things I know come from financial might. When India becomes that financial powerhouse, Look, I always tell people, look at the board for a board of cricket control of India. I want India to be not exactly like BCCI, 
but kind of what BCCI does to the cricketing world, where basically everybody dances around BCCI. I don't know how else to say. And before the BCCI, it was the BCCI, it was the ECB and the ACB. The English Cricket Board and the Australian Cricket Board. The only reason the Englishmen and the Aussies are are whining right now is because they don't have the control. Uh, the the Indians have the control, and it it these things are natural. Nature abhors vacuum. Today the Americans control everything. Tomorrow somebody else will. But we will end this discussion at that. But uh, can I also add this? I am glad Suhag and Nikunj have come together on this podcast, and and I'll share why. One of the biggest problems of the Hindu community is the the lack of unison uh, or or lack of unity in communication. Mar mar ke hamare paas baat kam activist organizations or activist groups hain jo Hindu activism karte hain. Mar mar ke. Main jaan bujh ke Hindi mein keh raha hu. I'll repeat it in English too. So we we already have a paucity when it comes to organizations who work for the community causes. I am really happy that both Suhag and Nikunj agreed to come together because for them the cause was bigger the community is bigger than all them all of them as individuals and their organizations so I would urge all of you from this platform look I am a aadha idhar aadha udhar kind of or or 35% here 65% in India kind of a life living person so i am constantly in touch with the diaspora and folks in india too so i am i have this unique perspective where i i literally hear both sides not just digitally but physically because i live in both the worlds the community needs these kinds of responses where look three people today are talking one i am a charvak suhag is not from a baps sampraday and nor is uh, nikunj from a baps sampraday our darshan and sampraday is different but for us when something unjust is done all organizations to should come together whether it's coalition of hindus of north america or whether it's the hindu american foundation and i applaud both of you for agreeing to come together and do this uh, and and raise your voice so thank you very much thanks for having us of course no this is wonderful <laughs> absolutely so guys we'll wrap today's podcast up um in the description of the podcast you will find the twitter handles of both the hindu american foundation and kona go follow them on social media uh if you want to support them all their the bios include the details of the website so you can go support them financially too and you can uh, uh you know go and subscribe to their programs there are different programs of the hindu american and the coalition of hindus of north america and if you are someone in north america who is a hindu or an indian origin person in general gain some political consciousness because without that this problem is not going to solve and when i say political consciousness i don't mean the left or right i just mean political consciousness it doesn't matter which part of the political spectrum you are but be politically active be sensible uh, and learn more about uh, issues that matter to you the spirituality will sort itself out i don't think the hindu community has a spiritual crisis i think the hindu community has a political crisis so i'll end it at there but as always thank you very much for subscribing if you have not subscribed do go subscribe like the video leave a comment in the comment section and This podcast is purely driven by members so if you can please become a member of the Charvak podcast on YouTube, Patreon or Fanmo. You can buy the merchandise on kushalmehra.com or send your donations to UPI. I will see you guys next time. Take care. Bye.